Hey friends, it's Fred Greenhalgh here, producer and head of audio here at Realm. There's a new show I think you'll be interested in called Ominous Thrill. It's an anthology of character-driven dark fiction. In its next episode, titled Being True, Stuart hits his breaking point and turns to the dark web to order the end of a troublesome client. But the mysterious woman who answers his call proves to have even darker needs of her own. Here's the short preview. You want to know why? Okay. Because I can't live like this anymore. I need this solved once and for all. Then do this yourself. I have fantasized about that so many times. How it would happen. What it would be like. Feel like. I just... I need help. Professional help. Ominous Thrill is out now, everywhere you listen. Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Pandemic, book three of the Infected Trilogy. Written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist, Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Pandemic is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash pandemic. Chapter 20 The Full Ride Clarence hated the suit. It made him feel clumsy, awkward. He'd strapped a holster to the outside of his thigh, but if things went south, he wasn't even sure if his gloved fingers could fit through his weapon's trigger guard. Far more significant, though, was the fact that he might be just one tiny rip away from suffering the same fate as Diego Clark. He hated the suit, true, but the heads-up display thing was amazing. He had Cantrell's service record right in front of him, at the left edge of his vision. All he had to do was turn his head and read. Clarence exited the airlock and walked to Clark's cell. He stood in front of the clear door, staring in. The mattress had been removed, incinerated probably. Clark lay on his back on the bed's metal surface. Metal mesh straps across his chest, hips and thighs held him tight to the bed's metal surface, as did thick restraints around his wrists and ankles. All that was overkill at the moment. An IV ran into Clark's right arm, a steady flow of drugs keeping him unconscious. A voice from behind. Makes me want to enlist all over again. Clarence turned to look at Kevin Cantrell. He was leaning against the wall of his cage, forearm and forehead pressed against the glass. The front of his clear cell looked directly into the front of Clark's. Look at that poor bastard, Cantrell said. Years of service, and he'll die horribly. The diver tilted his head to the right, toward Edmund, who lay in his bed and would never wake again. Or him. Good to know that the fucking Navy can heap disgrace upon misery and use our bodies like with laboratory mice. I mean, doesn't all this just make you want to sign up? Already did, Clarence said. Cantrell raised his eyebrows, nodded. Oh, that's right. Your little spat with Doc Feely. You enlisted. You're one of us, right? Let me guess. Marines? Rangers, Clarence said. Then Special Forces. Got shot at plenty, but no one strapped me to a table. I need to talk to you. Cantrell shrugged. 
It's not like my calendar is all that full at the moment. The man seemed different than he had just a little while earlier. He was calmer, relaxed. He hadn't exactly been freaking out earlier, nothing like that. But he'd seemed tense, jittery. Clarence tilted his head toward Clark. Sorry about your friend. A real shame. Seems inevitable, though. The pathogen obviously had some kind of reservoir that allowed it to maintain viability all these years. The Los Angeles likely found that reservoir. Clarky drew the short straw. Clarence raised his eyebrows. You seem to have a good grasp of what's going on. At least I think you do, because I'm not entirely sure I understand what you just said. Cantrell shrugged. I know me some biology. I was pre-med at Duke. Jesus. Not the typical life story of a serviceman. How the hell did you wind up in the Navy? Fighting, I'm afraid, Cantrell said. I was an angry young black man raging against the inequities of life, even though I'd grown up in the suburbs and had a full ride. You had a full ride to Duke? You must have been one hell of a baller, point guard. Cantrell laughed. If you were white, I'd call you racist. It was an academic full ride. Oh. Clarence actually did feel a little racist, which was a strange sensation. What did you do to get the academic full ride? Perfect score on the SAT. Clarence hadn't even known that was possible. He'd taken the SAT once upon a time. His score was less than perfect, to say the least. You had college for free but couldn't keep your nose clean. Book smart but no common sense? Cantrell nodded. No concept of perspective, actually, but close enough. So you enlisted? I did. I was out of options. Thought I'd do the GI Bill and save up enough to actually pay for college on my own. But I wound up in diving school and fell in love with it. I'm sure you're surprised to hear this, Agent Otto. But in the Navy, there is no such thing as a dummy diver. You have to be smart just to get in, and smarter to stay alive. In our job, one mistake can get you killed. He tilted his head toward Clark's cell. Or get you infected, apparently. Clarence knew that Cantrell might also be infected, might be just one of Tim's little pricks away from getting a death sentence of his own. I read your report, Clarence said. I didn't see any opportunity for Clark to get infected, but it would help if you walked me through what happened when you guys picked up the bodies. Cantrell thought for a moment, scratched absently at his throat. Okay, sure. When the shit hit the fan, Clark and I were ordered to suit up and search for bodies from the Los Angeles. We knew that meant a chance of handling infection victims. Our suits are aquatic BSL-4 arrays. Positive pressure, completely internalized air, solid seals, similar to what you're wearing now, only more streamlined for movement. A modified Seahawk flew us out to the target areas. Modified? How? Special lift cage. Same thing we used to retrieve material of interest from the Los Angeles. ROVs from the L.A. bring up these sealed, decontaminated containers. We collect the containers, get in the lift cage. 
the Seahawk drops the lift cage near the Brashear's port side. Cantrell pointed behind him, through his clear cell, across the prep area with its stainless steel instruments, to the wide horizontal airlock door. The Brashear's cargo crane picks up the cage and puts it right there. In we go, divers, cage, ROV, even the cable the crane uses to connect the cage. Anything that could possibly touch the sample container, or touch something that touches the container, gets fully deconned. The airlock seals up, completely fills with bleach, destroying any biocontaminants. When the bleach drains, the inner airlock door opens and we take the container to the prep area. Then we go back into the airlock, get another dose of bleach, then the crane brings us up on deck. The decon procedures seemed thorough, and yet something had still gone wrong. So on the night of the attack, the Seahawk takes you and Clark out, Clarence said. What was different? You mean other than the screaming, the blood, and the fires? Clarence paused, nodded. Other than that. The Hawks pilot spotted a flasher on Walker's SEIE suit. Cantrell said. Into the drink we went. She was alive when we found her, mumbling about the people she'd killed and how she'd sabotaged the L.A. So you touched her? The diver rolled his eyes. No, Agent Otto, we sat back and told her she had nice titties. She was still alive. We were trying to save her. Do you remember what she said? Cantrell stared back. You've got my report right in front of you. Read it for yourself. The man didn't want to repeat the words. Why not? But do you remember? Can you tell me? Cantrell sighed. <sighs> yeah. She said, I took out the reactor. Then she said, they bit me. I killed them. I shot two of those bastards. Clarence read from the statement. Cantrell had it word for word. Okay, so what happened then? The hawk dropped the collection cage. Clark and I put Walker inside, then got in with her. We were just about to return to the Brashear when the pilot spotted a second body. Clark and I went back into the drink. Petrovsky was eviscerated, among other significant damage. We loaded him into the cage. A cage normally meant for two divers and a container had four people in it, two of them infected. Clarence wondered if there was something to that. Did you continue to search for bodies? Cantrell shook his head. Command wanted the Seahawk to return and look for survivors from the Forest Sherman. No part of the helicopter had touched us or the bodies, if that's what you're wondering. The hawk dropped our cage into the water. Brashear's crane took us up. We got in the airlock just like normal. This time, however, there were two man-sized airtight containers waiting for us. We loaded the bodies into the containers. Feely was talking to us at that point. We went through the bleach bath, then carried the body containers to the morgue trailer. Clarence called up Feely's report. Cantrell's recall matched the report exactly, as if he were reading directly from it. 
all except for one thing. It says here that when you entered with the bodies and went through the decon bath, you smelled bleach. Cantrell paused. Of course I smelled it. They bathe us in it. The suits smell like it when we're done. I'm not talking about when you're done. You're quoted in the report as saying, I smelled bleach during decon step. Maybe a seal leaked. Cantrell's eyes narrowed. Was that a look of anger? That is not accurate, he said. Maybe I typed it wrong. So you didn't smell bleach when you and Clark were submerged in the decon tank? Cantrell shook his head. Not that I recall. Clarence reached out into the air, called up Clark's report on his HUD. Clark also reported smelling bleach. Clarence said. He was worried the suit would fill up with it. Cantrell clapped his hands together once, spread them out. There you go, Agent Otto. Clark told me that right after we finished. I was exhausted. I must have put his words down as mine. Clark studied the man. That explanation sounded perfectly logical. A battle, a high-risk recovery of infected bodies... That kind of stress could lead to significant fatigue, the blurring of memories. But Cantrell seemed to have a near-photographic memory of the event, all except for that one detail. Had the Vector somehow got inside Clark's suit through a broken seal or a tiny tear that also allowed in a small amount of bleach? If Cantrell was now lying about smelling bleach, he was doing so because he knew evidence of a tear would lengthen his time in the cell? Or could he actually be infected and trying to protect himself? So far, though, Cantrell had tested negative. Clarence felt he was missing something. But what? Let's go over the entire day again, he said. You don't mind, do you? Like you said, it's not like you're going anywhere. Chapter 21 Photobombing Margaret had thought diving back into this world would be hell. She thought working on the bodies of infection victims would further stir up the ever-present memories of Amos Braun, of Perry Dawsey, of Dew Phillips, of Detroit, and everything else that had turned her life to shit. But she didn't think about any of those things. In fact, almost as soon as she began the examination, those thoughts faded away. She didn't think about anything but the work. And most important... She didn't think about Clarence. In that way, at least, donning a BSL-4 suit and standing next to a body that had the potential to wipe out the human race was kind of... Well, it was kind of nice. She slowly ran her gloved hands over Candace Walker's body. A meticulous search. She had Tim's report up on the right side of her visor. She was getting the hang of the eye track navigation. As she found torn pustules and other marks on Candace's body... She checked to see if Tim had logged them. Maybe he'd missed something. Or maybe something had grown after he'd completed his initial exam. Margaret heard a rattle. The heavy, compact striker bone saw moving against a prep tray. Tim was cleaning Petrovsky's powdered bone and that thick rot from the blade, preparing to use the device on the skull of Candace Walker. Petrovsky's rot was accelerating now. Most of his skin looked black and wet 
and it was already sloughing off at his left shoulder to show the sagging, decomposing muscles beneath. Tim stopped, looked up. Uh, Dr. Montoya, what are you looking for? Triangles, she said, turning her attention back to Walker. I'm looking for any skin growths that would show triangle infection. I checked for that. She doesn't have the triangles or any Morgellons fibers indicative of a fizzle. A fizzle. Amos's name for an infection that didn't quite take hold, resulting in red, blue, or black fibers growing out of the host's skin. Hey friends, it's Fred Greenhalgh here, producer and head of audio here at Realm. There's a new show I think you'll be interested in called Ominous Thrill. It's an anthology of character-driven dark fiction. In its next episode, titled Being True, Stuart hits his breaking point and turns to the dark web to order the end of a troublesome client. But the mysterious woman who answers his call proves to have even darker needs of her own. Here's a short preview. You want to know why? Okay. Because I can't live like this anymore. I need this solved once and for all. Then do this yourself. I have fantasized about that so many times. How it would happen, what it would be like, feel like. I just, I need help. Professional help. Ominous Thrill is out now, everywhere you listen. Who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested, and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android, or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Margaret stopped and stared at Tim. You don't mind if I look again, do you? She wasn't going to have Feely second-guessing her. She already knew his report showed no growths on Candace, but something didn't add up. Triangle victims often cut into themselves, but Candace didn't have triangles. She had crawlers. Crawler hosts didn't mutilate themselves. So why had Walker cut off her own arm? Tim met Margaret's gaze. He slowly raised a gore-slimed, gloved hand in front of his visor, making a monotone noise as he did. When his hand moved in front of his eyes, he made a crashing sound, held the hand still. The world is in danger and this asshole is playing games? Tim, what are you doing? Raising my blast shields, he said. Your death stare will not take me down, Vader. For the second time that day, She laughed. There were two dead bodies on the table, 
both infected with a potentially world-killing pathogen, and Tim Feely made her laugh. He lowered the hand just enough for his eyes to peek over. Am I safe? For now, Margaret said. Stop playing. She pointed to the ravaged stub of Walker's severed arm. Your initial report said she did this to herself. He nodded. How do you know? Tim started tapping at the air. He was calling something up on his HUD, but the action still seemed odd. It made him look crazy. Here's how, he said. He grabbed the air in front of his face, made a tossing gesture in Margaret's direction. Inside her visor, Tim's report shrank down to a tiny icon at the lower left. Her vision filled with a series of images. A reciprocal saw, the long device so ubiquitous in the construction field. Red, industrial plastic handle, just big enough to hold with one fist. The same plastic on the saw's thick body, where the other hand would cup it from underneath. The blade guard, and finally the blade itself, eight inches long, designed to slide back and forth so fast you couldn't even see its jagged points. Margaret reached out into the air, swiped left to right. The next picture showed Candace Walker's left fingers wrapped around the saw's handle. The saw lay across her chest, the blade against the severed stump of her right arm. Margaret looked through her visor, down at the real thing, then refocused on the image. If Candace had cut herself, the angle of the wound was exactly right. The third picture showed a close-up of gouges in Candace's ulna, a failed cut, one that hadn't gone through. The saw blade sat neatly in the groove, a perfect fit. She swiped again to see the fourth and final picture, a smiling, biosafety-suited Tim Feely, holding the saw and leaning down by Walker's face. He was giving a thumbs up. Feely, you really are an asshole, Margaret said. You play with the dead? He shrugged. There was no one else to play with, but now you're here. He waggled his eyebrows. Another crass innuendo. Maybe that was his way of dealing with the pressure of the situation. Or, or maybe he was actually interested. Either way, she didn't have time for it. Thoughts of Tim Feely's advances faded away. The missing arms still didn't add up. If Candace had the crawlers, and crawlers that took over her brain, then why did she mutilate herself when no other known crawler host ever had? There's something different about Walker. Margaret said. Are you finished processing Petrovsky's brain? Tim nodded. I am. It's turning into black goop, but there was enough to see that it was riddled with a crawler mash. If that ever happens to me, hopefully your hubby will put me down like the dog that I am. She didn't know if Tim was serious about that request or just talking to deal with the stress. He had no way of knowing Clarence had done exactly that to infection victims in the past and wouldn't hesitate to do so again. Margaret stroked Candace Walker's hair one more time. In a few moments, Tim would slide a scalpel across the back of her scalp, then flip the scalp down over her face so he could use the striker's saw to open her skull. She heard a click in her helmet speakers, then Clarence's voice. Margaret, can you and Dr. Feely hear me? I can, she said. She looked at Tim, who gave a thumbs up. So can Tim. Good, Clarence said. Listen, I'm finished with Cantrell's interview. There's some things I want to talk about. So get in here, Margaret said. Um, can I report from the control room? 
This suit, I've been in it for two hours. Tim rolled his eyes. Yes, but make it fast, Margaret said. We'll keep working until you're ready. Tim, call up the images of crawlers from both Petrovsky and Walker. Let's take a look while we wait. Chapter 22 Red Hot Mama For most of the last five years, Tim Feely had enjoyed collecting a huge paycheck and not doing a whole lot to earn it. He worked hard at whatever anyone asked him to do. Well, at least he made it look like he was working hard. But he had harbored a hope that this infection crap was over forever and that his black-budget gravy train would last for decades. Obviously, he'd been wrong. The shit was real. If the infection got out, it could literally end the world. Like it or not, he was smack dab in the middle of it. But it wasn't all doom and gloom. He got to work with Margaret Montoya. The Margaret Montoya. She didn't understand what a legend she had become in scientific circles. For reasons Tim couldn't fathom, she seemed to be concerned with what regular people thought. People who knew nothing about science. Nothing about how her genius had saved their uneducated asses. Plus, she was fine. Margaret wanted to pretend that she and Clarence were solid, but Tim sensed friction. A marriage cracking at the seams, if it hadn't already shattered. Tim liked his women older, smart, and powerful. Margaret was all three. He was helping save the world, sure, but that didn't mean he couldn't keep the game afoot. Pursuing a sexy woman gave him an edge, helped distract him from worrying about the fact that he'd probably never leave the ship alive. While that pansy Agent Otto got out of his suit, Tim made good use of the time. Okay, Dr. Montoya, Tim said. I've queued up the images of dead crawlers from Petrovsky and Walker. Ready for the side-by-side -side comparison? I am, and please call me Margaret. Can I call you Red Hot Mama? You may not, she said. The crawlers, please. Tim eye-tracked through his HUD menus, called up the prepared video, then grabbed and tossed it at Margaret so that both of their visor displays showed the same thing. A side-by-side -side progression of dead crawler images. Walker's were on the left, Petrovsky's on the right. Margaret made a clucking sound with her tongue as she thought, Walker's crawlers, they're in an odd state of decay, almost like they were melted. At first glance, the crawlers all looked similar to oversized nerve cells. Each consisted of a large, roundish end, with dendrites that extended, split, and split again like tree branches, a long, thin central body, or axon, and finally a tail end that spread out in thin axon terminals. Closer examination, however, revealed that the crawlers were actually made up of modified muscle cells that could reach, that could grab, and then crawl toward the brain. Tim had been far too busy to do any comparative analysis. Lives had been at stake. As he looked at the images side by side for the first time, he saw immediate differences. Walkers aren't decomposing the same way as Petrovsky's, he said. Petrovsky's crawlers have spreading clusters of black spots, starting small and expanding, like a banana that's just starting to go bad. With walkers, the cell damage looks uniform, like something is affecting them all at once. You hit the nail on the head. They look like they're melting. You didn't see anything like that in your prior work? Margaret shook her head. No, we didn't. We studied Carmen Sanchez through the whole crawler infection process. Nothing like this in him. Or in Betty Jewell. 
and she was in an advanced state of the apoptosis chain reaction. This, this is new. She reached out, manipulating her images. Tim eye-tracked through his menu, altering his display so he saw exactly what she saw. Margaret had zoomed in on Walker's crawler. Uniform damage, she said quietly. These crawlers started out alive, moving. Then something made them start to dissolve. She reached out again, wiped away the images from Petrovsky. Only Walker's remained. You said you also extracted live crawlers from Walker. Can I see them? Tim menued through to the video he'd recorded. Let me get one on visual. The image came up, still moving, still twitching, still reaching. He placed it side by side with the dead, melted crawler. Margaret stared at the two images for a moment. Walker's crawlers are significantly different. I've never seen this form before. Tim felt his face flush with embarrassment that he hadn't spotted it himself. Unlike all the other crawler images, this one didn't have the spreading axon terminals at the tail end. Just a long, thin body and the dendrite arms on what he presumed to be the top. And even that part was unusual. Where a normal crawler's dendrite arms looked like a stubby tree with many branches, the living sample only had five arms of varying lengths. Margaret's eyes changed focus. Instead of seeing the images inside her visor, she looked through them to stare at Tim. Feely, why the hell didn't you tell me they looked different? His face flushed deeper, but this time with anger. I didn't notice! There wasn't time to do any in-depth work. She put her hands on her hips, a gesture that looked oddly out of place for someone wearing a bulky biosafety suit. Didn't have time. Are you kidding me? Tim stabbed a finger toward the ceiling. Maybe you didn't get the memo, Montoya, but there was a goddamn battle up top. Her hand slid off her hips. She looked surprised as if it had never occurred to her that he could blow up at someone. Well, he had, and he couldn't stop the volcano of frustration and grief that came blasting out. I did what I could. There weren't enough hands to go around. I had to make snap decisions. If I took too much time to save one man, three others would die. The ship's doctors, overwhelmed, bodies all over the deck. He'd been covered in blood, the smell of burned flesh, the screams, people begging for help. All the drugs in the world weren't going to erase those two days. His anger faded. He saw the faces of men who had looked at him, looked right at him when he was already writing them off because they were too far gone. And then there was Murray's order to collect some crawlers and seal them up for shipment to Black Manitou. Tim had done that the day of the battle, grabbing a few samples from Petrovsky and sending them on. He knew he should have fought that order, but all he wanted to do was satisfy Murray's request so he could get back to the wounded. Murray had sworn Tim to secrecy on that. Tim couldn't tell anyone, and in truth, he was ashamed of caving in and didn't want to tell anyone. I worked two days straight to save as many as I could. The only time I stopped was when Yasaka had two men drag me. Literally, drag me down here to do some basic sample gathering on Walker and Petrovsky. And when I came down, I made sure not to touch the bodies at all. Just on the off chance, I might bring contagion up with me when I returned to the wounded. 
I only used needles to gather samples, and I gathered those samples as quickly as I could. Know why? I had more important things to do than play with corpses. So no, Margaret, I didn't pay that much attention to the motherfucking crawlers. Margaret sighed. She looked sad. I apologize. I should know better. We have so little time to get this work done. I'm sure I'm missing things, and there are tests we should be running that just have to wait because we don't have the resources. Everything is hurried, rushed, and you had it even worse with all the wounded. I'm sorry you had to go through that. He could see she meant it. The sincerity of her response made his anger fade away as quickly as it had erupted. Tim shrugged, feeling the bulk of his suit on his shoulders when he did. You're really sorry? She nodded. Sorry enough for apology sex? Not that sorry, no. Oh, well, worth a try. Margaret shook her head, a sad dismissal of his feeble attempt. She focused on the images in her HUD. These new crawlers from Walker, where exactly were they inside her body? The pustules. That was the fastest and easiest place to get a sample, so I started there. I collected crawlers from other areas as well, but all of those were dead. And come to think of it, all of the dead ones looked the same as those I collected from Petrovsky. Margaret frowned. She reached out, turning the image of the living crawler, looking at it from multiple angles. Sanchez had pustules, but what was in them didn't look like these. So we know that Walker definitely had the old kind of crawlers, the ones we saw back in Detroit, the same that are in Petrovsky, but she also had this new kind. Tim studied the images on his own HUD. The new crawlers reminded him of a microorganism he'd seen way back in his undergrad days. They kind of look like hydras, he said. Margaret nodded. Yeah, a little bit. As good a name as any for the variant. She stared. The tip of her tongue traced her upper lip. So the hydras and the crawlers were in Walker at the same time, but only the crawlers were melted. Tim watched the real-time image of the hydra, watched it reach and move, searching for something to grab onto. Walker's crawlers had melted. Petrovsky's, Sanchez's, and Jules had not. Her hydras were the only known variable. Maybe the hydras killed the crawlers, he said. Something they secreted, perhaps. Margaret thought about that for a moment. Possibly, but why? Crawlers and hydras are on the same side, so to speak. Maybe it's a new design. The first round of infections, with Perry Dawsey and the other early victims, they only had the triangular growths. But later on, when Detroit got crazy, you saw the crawler-based infections. And even that woman you said blew up like a puffball. The look on Margaret's face made it clear she didn't want to remember that moment. The disease seemed to adapt, she said. We stopped the triangles. In the following outbreak, the disease expressed itself in at least two new ways. Tim closed his eyes, let his brain work through the details, hoping he could find that spark of inspiration. We've had no new activity since the orbital was shot down. Now we find a piece of the orbital and blammo, we've a third new form. So it's reasonable to hypothesize that all the designs originated with the orbital, you stopped the first attempt, the Dawsey-era infection, so it retooled and tried again with the things you saw in Detroit. You stopped that, 
So maybe it was already making additional changes when it was shot down. Maybe the Hydras are that new design. Margaret bit at her lower lip. Maybe, but that doesn't explain why Hydras would kill crawlers. Why would the orbital make something that kills something else the orbital made? Tim didn't have an answer for that. He felt like he was on the right path, although he couldn't see where that path ended. Well, the Hydras aren't an accident, he said. The infection reprogrammed Walker's body to make them. Margaret's eyes stared off, seemed to lose focus. Her lips moved slightly, like she was talking quietly to herself. An accident, she said. She closed her eyes, kept mumbling to herself like a student trying to work out a complex math problem. Tim wasn't even sure if she knew he was there anymore. Tim, what if it was an accident? Or rather, a mutation? Maybe there was something different about Walker's body, about the way her cellular factories reacted to the infection's reprogramming. Margaret blinked rapidly, raised her eyebrows, her eyes again focused on him. Can you get Walker's medical records? Of course, what do you want to know? Start with her medical history. Maybe there's something unusual in her system that wasn't in the other victims. Tim called up Walker's records, scanned through the usual list of military checkups, inoculations, physicals, then found exactly what Margaret was looking for, something unusual. She had lupus, he said. Margaret shook her head. That can't be it. I can't see how an autoimmune disease would affect the crawlers. They hijack stem cells to produce copies of themselves. Tim looked deeper in the record. When he found the next difference, he felt his heart start to hammer. Jesus, Margaret! Walker underwent hack therapy to treat the lupus! Margaret narrowed her eyes, not understanding. What's hack therapy? That question surprised Tim. She hadn't just tuned out from life, she'd tuned out from medicine altogether. She wasn't even reading research journals. Hack is human artificial chromosome treatment. It's an experimental way to treat genetic defects. The process introduces a new chromosome into stem cells. The end result is stem cells with 47 chromosomes instead of the normal 46 that all cells are supposed to have. The 47th chromosome probably has a myriad of immune system modulators meant to reprogram cells to stop the autoimmune effects of lupus. New transcription factors, genetic code to modify gene response, etc. In some cases, Hack even introduces fully artificial gene sequences. Even as he said the words, it struck him how similar the process sounded to the orbital's infection strategy. Targeted changes to the host's DNA, altering the processes created by millions of years of evolution. Was humanity that far away from harnessing the very technology that threatened to wipe it out forever? Margaret's eyes narrowed. Her nostrils flared. Normally she looked like she couldn't hurt a fly, but now her expression was that of a predator. An artificial chromosome in stem cells, she said. Maybe the orbital's technology can't properly integrate that 47th chromosome. She nodded, slowly at first, then gradually faster. This therapy, where did Walker get it? Let me check. Tim read through Walker's records. Looks like a clinic within the Spectrum Health System in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Cutting-edge stuff, only ten people in the trial. Margaret thought for a moment. Her excitement seemed to grow. Correlation isn't causation, but this is one hell of a correlation. 
she said. We need to see if these new larger crawlers colonized Walker's brain, like the older ones colonized Petrovsky's. Let's find out right now. Tim walked to his prep tray and lifted the compact striker saw, preparing to cut into Walker's skull. You have been listening to Pandemic, book three of the Infected Trilogy by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Hey, it's Mae Whitman, and I play Frankie in the new Realm podcast, The Sisters. The Sisters is about a museum curator of medical oddities, who investigates the origins of a mutated skeleton with two layers of bones. Seven ribs are completely fused. And you have no idea where this came from? No. She was sent here anonymously. Uh Uh-uh. Not she. They, maybe? Wait. I've never seen anything like this. Soon, she uncovers an extraordinary mystery that connects her present with one family's tragic past in hauntingly dangerous ways. My grandfather was a journalist back in the 60s and 70s. He specialized in strange stories. Who are they? How are they connected to the skeleton? Play the tape. You'll see. Listen to The Sisters wherever you get your podcasts. We dream about it. We both dream about it. How often?